Well, hey there, New City Church. My name is Nate Bush. I get to be the lead pastor here. If this is your first time with us, can I just say, uh, welcome. We're really glad that you are here. Uh, we've been putting together uh, just a few to-do lists for Advent because uh, we just want to make it easy for you to engage with us this Advent season. So I want to give you a heads up on some things. All right, One is this. Uh, to do for Living Advent, the series, download the Advent Guide. It was mentioned earlier in the announcements. If you missed it, you just go on our website. You can download the Advent Guide. You can find uh, links to it on our social media. When we say choose a gathering, this is for a purpose because we really think it's best that we choose a gathering to, to, you know, to hang out with friends at. And so uh, even if you're meeting virtually, you can, uh, in fact, especially since you're meeting virtually, you can invite a friend from anywhere to join uh, an Advent service with you. So it's one of the cool things I'm looking forward to is celebrating Advent uh, with family who are far away online in a service together. So it's really cool. You can do that. So choose a gathering, invite a friend. Now, we have a Christmas Eve gathering that's going to be a little unique this year, but like everything is unique. It's 2020. Nothing is going as planned in 2020, but we're trying to make this a really cool experience. So here's a quick to-do list for Christmas Eve gatherings. First is pre-register. Now, it, it seems odd uh, to have to pre-register for an online gathering, but I'm going to tell you that the online gathering at 4, 6, 8, or 10 is interactive, and so we want to mail you a gift, and, and, uh, and it would be great if you could pre-register soon so we get that gift out to you, and you can interact with that gift during the service. It's going to be a great, uh, it's going to be a great night. Choose a gathering. Uh, to receive the gift at your house. Uh, invite a friend uh, to join you at that gathering. This is going to be a really, really cool night. And you know, look, 2020 is unique. It's different. We're never going to forget it. So why not just do something really fun uh, as a community together? And so if this is your first time engaging with New City, uh, we hope that you'll enjoy it. We hope this will be a blessing to you. We really want to serve you well. Uh, also, want to let you know that on Monday, we'll be sending out an e-letter We'll also be updating our social on Monday morning uh, to encourage you to read the Advent Guide. Uh, we're also going to, in that e-letter, uh, post a link to watch a pastoral reflection. Uh, we'll eat, uh, Rod, Pastor Roger, and, and myself will be uh, publishing just kind of short videos to summarize the teaching for that week to try to bring some encouragement to your life this, during the, this week of Advent. And also, we want to encourage you to attend a noontime prayer. And we'll put a link in the e-letter uh, we'll put a link on uh, our social as well, so you can join that noontime prayer on Wednesday. We'll do that every Wednesday of Advent, and, we, and that noontime prayer is just going to be time for us to pray together. It'll be a quick 20-minute prayer session, but I think it'll be high impact and high power for you. Okay, on to our teaching today for Living Advent. First thing I want to say is, hey, uh, nobody is killing it right now, okay? No, but nobody, nobody in 2020 is just like really slaying it. And let me just say, if you think you are, keep it to yourself, please. <laughs> Don't tell anybody because that's not going to make anybody happy, all right? Nobody really, nobody is really slaying it because 2020 is hard, and what I've noticed, and you probably noticed this too, that there's a lot of frustration out there in the world. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people have felt like things haven't gone their way. Uh, they want to right the wrongs. And, and there's a lot of sort of feeling like, hey, justice needs to happen here in this way or in that way. And, and, and that my version of justice isn't the same as somebody else's version of justice. And that makes me even more angry. Why is all this going on? Well, hardwired into every human being is a keen sense of justice. I really do mean hardwired. Like, you can't shake it. Justice occurs, listen, when things happen 
as they ought. Like justice, is ha- justice occurs when things happen as they ought. But we seek justice now when what ought not to happen is happening in the world. And so people are seeking justice because they're recognizing, hey, things aren't going the way they should. Things aren't working out the way they ought to. Look, everyone doesn't always agree as to the way things ought to be. However, every human being who has ever lived has felt the need to seek justice. This kind of sense that the world isn't the way it ought to be, well, that's a universal human experience. And I think we we should just hit pause. I mean, just hit pause for a second. And we should ask ourselves, where did the sensibility to justice come from? Like, where did it come from? Like, why do we have, like, this sense that the world ought to be a certain way? Now, I I don't expect anybody, you know, to to, to sort of 100% agree with me on the way things ought to be. But I just hope that you can recognize that this, it's irrefutable that we all, every human being who's ever lived has felt like, man, something's just not right here. And and somebody should do something about it. That's also a feeling that we can all relate to. So we've got to ask ourselves some questions like, why are we so angry at injustice? Or, or to put that question another way, why are we so surprised when life starts to fall apart? I mean, it's almost as if we expect that life should go a certain way. It's almost like we expect life to have purpose and meaning. It's almost like we expect there's a certain sort of way in which life should be operating. Otherwise, we wouldn't be surprised by it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be angry at it when it doesn't seem to be going right. You see, we seek justice because God wrote purpose into every molecule he created. Every every atom inside of your body was created with purpose. You, my friend, were created with purpose and meaning, and no one can take that away from you. I mean, listen to the creation narrative as told in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. In other words, everything was without its purpose and without its meaning. But it was being shaped, being formed by God. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. He began to bring life and purpose and meaning into existence. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What is God doing in creation as you read the rest of Genesis 1? He's ordering things. He's putting things in a right order. He's making things that, 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 are, that are supposed to operate in a certain way. He's setting up the way of life. He's creating things with purpose and meaning. But when the purpose and meaning is violated, when things don't go the way they should, when, when things are not right, we say, what? That's dark. <laughs> Man, that was dark. Like, haven't you had one of those moments recently, like in 2020, where you just looked at the world and you go, Man, that's, this, this place is really dark. What's happening? Well, meaning and purpose are being violated. Like the order of things is being undone. You see, at the first advent, that's the first appearing of Jesus, 
Jesus came to set the world back to rights. In other words, to shine his light into the darkness. And so when biblical authors are trying to help us to see that Jesus is here to right wrongs, to bring light to darkness, that's the language that is, that is used. So John, in John's Gospel, when he writes about the origin of things and the advent of Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus. In other words, he's the logic. The, he's the one who brought order, purpose, and meaning to everything. In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you see it? Life and light. The light shines the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, when He came in the first advent, He came as a, a child for sure, born in a manger for sure, but He also came as the light of God. He came to shine the light in the darkness, to start ordering things back to rights, to, to correct the wrongs, to bring justice and peace. See, during Advent, we are not just celebrating that Jesus was born. We are celebrating why Jesus was born. And that's a crucial thing to understand. See, Jesus was born because the world is a dark place. And things are not going as they should. They're not going as they ought to. Things need to be fixed. The wrongs need to be righted. You could summarize the life of Jesus this way in three points. Jesus lived as we ought to live, like he lived the perfect life. Jesus died for us because we live the way we ought not to live. And so he died for us because we have violated our own purpose, and we, we haven't lived uh, according to the ideals that God had set for us, and we've done wrong and not lived totally righteous. So Jesus died for us because we live the way we ought not to live. Jesus rose from the dead and is coming back to restore us, listen, and everything else to the way that things ought to be. To say it just really simply, in a single line, Jesus is restoring justice. He's restoring justice. He's turning the, he's turning the world back to rights. Our Advent series is called Living Advent because Advent is not just a story we tell. It's a story we live. You'd say it's a just story that we live. It's a, it's a story of justice that we are living into, which is why we're, we're trying to sort of write the Advent series this way. We're calling every week, we're calling people to action. We're saying, hey, it's not just about hope peace, joy, and love. It's about living hope and, and living peace and living joy and, and living love. It's about actively participating in the just work of Jesus in the world. It's about living Advent. You see, during Advent, we celebrate our living hope, that is, Jesus restoring us in the world to the way it ought to be. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating Jesus' restoration. What we do when we celebrate the living hope of Jesus, we say, you know what? The world's not the way it should be. And I'm angry about it. And I'm seeking justice. But I worship a Jesus who is going to finally one day make it right again. You see, everything that is undoing us will be undone because of the good work of Jesus. That leads us to our reading today of Mar out of Mark chapter 13. We read a small section out of Mark 13 today. It, when you read the whole section of Mark 13, you, you realize this is Jesus speaking on the Mount of Olives. It's his longest discourse in the book of Mark. He's speaking about the destruction of the temple and the end of all things. 
And this is what he says in verse 24 of Mark 13. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. That doesn't sound like creation to me. That sounds like the opposite of creation. That sounds like Genesis before God brought order to things. Well, yes, that's what God's doing. He's undoing everything that's undoing us. When Jesus comes to bring his justice, he comes to right the wrongs. Now, this kind of writing is called apocalyptic writing. It's a certain genre in Scripture. Uh, To explain it, Donald English says this, Apocalyptic, as a recognizable genre of literature expression, has significant characteristics. There's a keen sense of a battle between good and evil. Pessimism about that process working out well in natural terms, a conviction that things will end in crisis, and the need for God to put everything right in and through the crisis. I would say that that's kind of where a lot of people find themselves today, in a moment of crisis. Needing and longing for Jesus to put things back to rights again. You see, Christians not only believe in the advent of Jesus, that's Jesus' arrival in the manger, but we long for the second advent of Jesus when he comes back again. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he's seated at the right hand throne of God, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore the world back to rights. And so in the language of Mark 13, but concerning that day, the Bible says. That day, that's that's how the day is referred to all throughout the scriptures. That day or that hour, not one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's going to be a day. Nobody knows when it is. And so don't listen to somebody when they try to predict when it is. But there's going to be a day. And that day of Christ returning to right the world is a major theme in the New Testament. In fact, David Jeremiah says seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament mention his return. And In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. Like this idea of Jesus' second advent is a big deal in the scriptures. Like he's coming back. He will return. He will arrive again. And when he does, he's going to bring justice to the world. James Edwards in his commentary says, the longing that things ought not to be as they are and cannot be allowed to remain as they are is essentially an eschatological longing. It means a longing that is fixated on the end of things when Christ returns. The grand finale of the gospel preached by Jesus is that there is a pure hope for the future. You see, friend, we have a hope, a real hope, the things that things right now are not as they ought to be. But one day, in our eternal future, because of Jesus, we will wake up and we will have this odd sensation that everything is the way that it ought to be. And that we are the way that we ought to be. And that others are the way they ought to be. And that the world is the way it ought to be. It's going to be righted. All the wrongs will be righted. You know, that it impacts the way we experience our every day. It, it, it impacts how we experience COVID-19. You could say we tend to experience our now, our present moment, 
based on what we expect to happen then. We, we tend to experience a certain set of emotions now based upon our expectations then. So when we go back to Mark 13, and you look at verse 26 of Mark 13, earlier in the passage you said all the powers and the darkness is going to be undone. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is Jesus coming with all of his Shekinah glory, to use that language of the Bible. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven. In other words, he's going to come and redeem his people. He's going to restore the world. He's going to come with all of his glory, all of his light and shining and all of that darkness. You see, at the second advent, when Jesus returns, the world will become as it ought to be. And Jesus here, in his teaching on this return, is borrowing language from Daniel chapter 7. Listen to the language of Daniel chapter 7. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, sounds really familiar because Jesus said this in Mark 13, 26, and I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was present before him. Now listen how he comes. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see when Jesus returns he comes to finally and fully establish his reign and rule, his righteousness, his justice, restore the world back to rights. He brings a whole new culture of peace with him. You see, when Jesus returns, he is bringing with him a government that brings peace. And so when Gabriel's talking to Mary about the baby that to be born, he says to Mary uh, some things that he quotes, uh, that are taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Here's what Here's what Gabriel the angel says to Mary about the baby Jesus. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That this baby Jesus is going to come and he's going to bring peace, justice, righteousness. He's going to restore the world to the way it ought to be. You see, peace is the world restored to rights. Peace is justice experienced. It's the way things ought to be. One of our key verses at New City is Revelation chapter 21. And I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones renders the teaching of Revelation 21 in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you have kiddos and you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, you should really get it and read it to them. This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones talks about the restoration of all things, Jesus turning the world back to rights. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. Isn't that a beautiful line? That's what Jesus is doing. Everything sad has come untrue. 
And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I'm making everything new. That's what Jesus is about doing. Look, we experience our now as Christians. We experience our now as a living hope. Because we know with certainty what will happen then. Like we know Jesus is going to restore all things. We know Christ raised from the dead. Like we don't know when, it says verse 32, that day. We don't know when. No one knows the hour. But we know, we know he is. We know he is going to come back. We know he, he is because he came already. If you, if you don't have struggles believing in the baby Jesus in the manger, you won't have struggles believing in Christ returning to restore the world to rights. Like that's what he's doing. And so the text says, be on guard. Keep awake. For you don't know when the time will come. And so we're to be awake, to be sober-minded, to sober up, to think, to think rightly about our current context. You see, our, our, our living hope, it changes things. And one of the things that changes, it changes how we experience pain. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to, <sighs> I, I, I want to be honest about man, people, I mean, there are people watching right now who are experiencing deep pain. Like real pain. The pain of a job loss, the pain of losing someone that's close to them because of COVID. The, the, the pain of having a, biz, a business threatened because the economy is not <laughs> going great if you had a small business right now. I mean, there's, there's real pain, relational pain. And there are people who are quarantined with people that they have not been getting along with for a very long time. But there's real pain in that home. Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says, because I have a view of the restoration of all things, because I have a view that Jesus is going to right all the wrongs, because I have a view that he's going to restore everything, it changes our experience of the present. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. To every... Every parent at home trying to educate their child virtually and do their job and maintain the home, sometimes these verses just sound like words. But I want to read them again, and I just want to add just a short phrase. For I consider the sufferings of this present time during COVID-19 are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, when you have your eyes fixed on what God is at work doing, you, you know that this present pain isn't worth comparing to the future glory. And, and as your belief and as your faith in what Christ is doing, as, you, as, you, as your view of God increases, look, the experience of the pain decreases. It doesn't go away in the here and now, but it decreases. So our living hope, it changes how we experience pain. You know what? Our living hope, it changes how we grieve. It changes how we experience the loss of those whom we love. That's why 1 Thessalonians says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, in other words, those who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, we, we have a living hope, Christian. 
because Christ lived, died, and rose again, we have a living hope that's guaranteed because Christ has raised. He's conquered death and sin itself. We have, we have a living hope, and our living hope, it, it changes how we experience pain, certainly it changes how we, how we grieve. And listen, our living hope, it changes our character. This is, this is an interesting thought. You see, hope, I mean, I, I, you know, I wrote this slide, and I'm just not sure that my experience is always your experience, and I don't want to speak for you, Okay? But hope keeps us from becoming numb to and normalizing things that are not right. Do you know how easy it is just to kind of go, well, things are what they are. It is as it is. Nothing's ever going to change. And just to kind of give up on hope altogether. And there are a lot of people during this pandemic who have felt like, I'm just going to give up on hope altogether. But I want you to know that we need to be on guard. We need to keep awake, verse 33. Verse 34, we need to stay awake, verse 35. We need to stay awake, verse 37. We need to stay awake. What Jesus is teaching us in Mark 13 is we should stay awake and stay alert that he is making things new. We have a living hope. In our Living Advent Guide, there's a passage I want to draw your attention to, and I hope you'll read it this week. The guide reads, Advent is meant to be an abrupt disruption in our ordinary lives. Historically, the church has held the beginning of Advent as the start of the new liturgical year. Everything begins again. It's a new year. A new time, new opportunities, a new life. During Advent, we dare to confess a genuine newness wrought by God. Jesus will come again and fully enact the newness throughout all of creation. We know that day is coming, but we don't know when that day will be, and so we wait. It's kind of cool to think of today as the start of a new year, new opportunities, a time to turn the page, a time of expectancy. See, hope increases our expectations of God's just work because there's nothing in this broke life that God cannot redeem. There's nothing in your broke story that God cannot fix. There is, there is no sad thing that God cannot undo. And in fact, He's undoing every sad thing. You see, our, our living hope, it, it moves us to be a people living hope. You see, our living hope, our hope that's alive because of Jesus, it moves us to be a people who are living out that message of hope, to be living hope. In Mark 13, Jesus tells like a little parable. He says, it's like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Jesus says, in this time, as we wait for the ultimate renewal of all things, we work and we wait, we work and we watch. We stay sober, we stay attentive, we stay in tune to the fact that he is not only finally working, but he is working now towards that end. We are to be actively praying for others to experience the justice and peace of Jesus' future kingdom now. 
Don't you see? Jesus has been teaching this. In, in Matthew 6.10, he says, I want you to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I want you to pray for the kingdom reality, the future justice, the future peace to be experienced now. N.T. Wright one di- once said, if you're going to pray Matthew 6.10, you've got to be willing to live Matthew 6.10. In other words, if you want to receive the living hope of Jesus, you've got to be, be willing to be the living hope of Jesus to the world. To pray for his kingdom reality to be experienced here and now. You see, I think we're to be actively seeking participation in providing the experience of Jesus' future kingdom right now. It may only be a taste of it. But, but it's a taste of the future glory, the future hope that Jesus has come to bring. And I, I'll just turn your attention to Matthew 6, 8 as kind of marching orders for you and me. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Just I want you to think about how if if the message of hope was something you were actually living, how it would change your character. How you wouldn't just be looking for your own rights all the time and what's good for you, but you'd be seeking justice for others. That you've, you, you, you would be kind and generous towards others because you know that Christ has been kind and generous towards you. You'd be walking humbly because you know you received grace, not because you deserved it, but because Christ gave it to you as a gift. You'd be walking in light of this living hope that you have as a gift from God. That He came, look, God, God came to redeem you, not because you're good, but because He's good. But when He redeemed you and rescued you, He gave you this living hope that one day He's redeeming or everything and our living hope it changes how we experience pain man it changes how we grieve it changes our character you know you don't have to be a jesus follower by the way to taste the future that jesus brings you don't have to be a a jesus follower to, to get the to get the flavor in your mouth. In fact, you may, you may already have it. I mean, you, you may have already tasted the future reality, the future redeemed reality. You may have already tasted, you probably have, at some point in your life, tasted what it would feel like for the world to be set to rights. Years ago, in another life, okay, I was an art student at art college in New York City, and one of the painters that I spent a lot of time studying was a painter called Robert Henry. We actually have some paintings of Robert Henry here in New Mexico in Santa Fe. And Robert Henry wrote a book called The Art Spirit. And there's a passage in The Art Spirit I revisit from time to time. Because it, it, when, I, when I first read it, and I was not a believer when I first read it, but when I first read it, it just, it was one of those, those moments of sort of enlightenment where I kind of felt like, you know what, there, there, is, a, there is a beauty in the world that that exists and that beauty in the world that exists is there for a reason and there's why, why, why does beauty exist like why does goodness exist why does justice the need for justice exist why do i have the sense that things ought to be a certain way it, all those questions begin to come to me after i read this passage just many years ago it may not happen for you but just humor me for a second robert henry writes there are moments in our lives There are moments in a day when we seem to see beyond the usual. 
Such are the moments of our greatest happiness. Such are the moments of our greatest wisdom. If one could but recall his vision by some sort of sign, it was in this hope that the arts were invented. Signposts on the way to what may be. Signposts towards greater knowledge. Henry later writes, The object isn't to make art. It's to be in the wonderful state in which makes art inevitable. What Henry was observing is that there are these moments in our everyday life where we get a sense of it, a hint of it, the way the world ought to be. And it's, it's ordinary, like it's ordinary stuff. In fact, you might say that Jesus is redeeming the extraordinary beauty of ordinary life. That's what he's redeeming. I don't know what, your, what, what, you, what you think about when you think about heaven. You, it may be informed by some religious experience, you know, religious input you received at some point in your life, or it may just, you know, be informed by seeing paintings of babies with wings and diapers. Like, I don't know what your vision of the future heavenly reality is, but I can tell you the, the portrait that the Bible paints for us is ordinary life redeemed. Tim Keller writes about it this way. If you can't dance, and you long to dance, in the resurrection you'll dance perfectly. If you're lonely, in the resurrection you will have perfect love. If you're empty, in the resurrection you will be fully satisfied. Ordinary life is what's going to be redeemed. There's nothing better than ordinary life. It's that there's always going away and always falling apart. That phrase, there's nothing better than ordinary life, just rings true, doesn't it? Especially in light of the COVID experience we've had with ordinary life being so disrupted. Many of us have thought back to, I just miss ordinary life. Well, then that also begs the question of you and me is, what do you do when life is not the way it ought to be? What do you do? I want to invite you to a simple decision. Accept the living hope of Jesus. Accepting the living hope of Jesus and offering the living hope of Jesus to others is the best decision you could make today. Just say, Jesus, I I want your hope. (laughs) Give it to me. My life is not the way it ought to be. Things are not going the way it ought to be. I, you know, I, I would, <laughs> I, mean, to, I, I, I would kill for an experience of ordinary life right now. I mean, many people feel that way. Just use that sort of colloquial phrase. Listen, Jesus was killed to restore your ordinary life. He died on the cross for sins and for all of the curse of sin. He died on the cross. Everything is dying because of sin in the world, and Jesus died to end all death. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered sin and death, and because of his resurrection, our hope is living. You see, during Advent, we don't just celebrate that Jesus was born. We celebrate why Jesus was born. That's why our Advent series is called Living 
Advent. Because Advent is not just a story we tell. It's a story that changes the way that we live our lives. Today, I want to challenge you to live in light of the hope. To live in light of the hope. To, to, to live with confidence that whatever's going on right now in your life, Jesus is restoring it. But also in accepting that belief, accepting that reality, that Jesus is restoring it, that he will make all of the sad things to come untrue, that that will also become a motivation for you to live hope for others, to help others to experience the reality of Jesus. And so we in our, we in, we've been ending our service times with a couple of movements. One is just decision. And I would love to call you to make a decision today to receive Jesus and his living hope but also to make a decision that you're going to live in light of that hope. That you're not going to grow numb and cold because of all the things that are going on and, all, and nothing's going the way it should, but you're going to just sort of ask Jesus, how can, I be, how, can I, how can I partner with you in the just work you're doing in the world? How can I live your message of hope in my everyday life? We certainly love for you to partner with us in generosity. And as you take communion today, realize that Jesus' body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you, so that by his wounds you might receive healing. Look, our hope is in the healing, the ultimate healing of all things that comes through Jesus. And we'd love to, to, to help you in, in prayer this week, and so you can tune in on Wednesday to pray with us. But before we move, in, uh, move on to all those things, and before you move on from this message, I want you to hear from Shelley Rep. Each week during our Living Advent series, we are going to point to somebody in our city who is actually living Advent. And this week, Shelley Rep is going to talk to you about how she's living hope through her ministry at the New Mexico Dream Center. Now, through her ministry at the Dream Center, she's caring for homeless youth. She's caring for victims of human trafficking. And Shelley Rep is somebody who is living hope. And so after I pray, tune in to watch this video, Shelley. And so, Father, I pray for everybody watching right now that you would help them to experience living hope. If there's anybody that needs to respond to the gospel right now, that you would move them to respond to the gospel, to receive your living hope. And if there's anybody who's grown complacent in their life and they've kind of given up on, on you, I pray you would renew their strength. You would give them a sense of hope. You would fill them with the ability to live out that message of hope in their everyday life. And I pray for that uh, as a work of your Holy Spirit to be miraculous in their lives. In your name, Lord, just I pray. Amen. All right, check out this wonderful story from Shelley. My name is Shelley Rep. I'm the director for the New Mexico Dream Center, which is a local nonprofit here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that provides services to human trafficking survivors and homeless youth. I got involved in helping human trafficking victims and homeless youth because of some experiences that happened in my life. I lived in a happy Christian bubble for a long time and I ministered to children and families for like 22 years and I didn't see what was happening in our city. I didn't see the need that was around me every day because I chose not to look. And then one day God popped that bubble and I had to look.
When we work with our homeless youth, they aren't able to get themselves checked into a shelter. They don't have food that's readily available for them. And they don't know the dangers, or they do know the dangers that are out there, but they don't know how to protect themselves from that. And so hope looks like a person, actual person, not a phone number, not a referral to an emergency room, not a referral to a call center, but an actual person who is willing to listen to what they have to say, who is willing to give them something to eat, something to drink, and is willing to take part in their lives because their lives are messy. And it's super easy for us to say, we don't want to live a messy life and it's too difficult for us to walk through the mud. But when you get down in that mud and you're willing to walk with them, that is what hope incarnate looks like. I had a playbook and it was God's playbook. I felt like, you know, it was based on the Bible. And so I had my schedule and I lived my life within the lines and that's what I needed to do. And I felt like that was the right thing to do. And then I remembered that Jesus did not live his life between the lines, that Jesus lived his life in the margins. And that's where he met needs and that's where he healed people and that's where he made change. And I decided it was time to live not in the lines anymore, but to live in the margins because that's where we find the people that need the hope that we have. If we decide to stay and our lives continue to stay in the lines, then we're missing out on the hope that we are to all the people who live in the margins.